Good morning, I'm Steve and um, I'm one of the key leaders or main leaders in church life and um, I just really want to welcome you here this morning, particularly if you're new to church or you're new to this church, we want to give you a really warm welcome. Uh, Some time ago a friend of mine um, said to me, he said, I was sitting in a pub in Newcastle and uh, in burst this guy and, and asked, uh, where's the ferry port so I can get the ferry to um, Norway? The problem is my friend was sat in Newcastle, Wales, not Newcastle upon Tyne. The guy had put into his sat-nav the wrong Newcastle. He had the wrong directions and so he'd come to the wrong place. And I think sometimes in life we can be... Um, we can be headed to the wrong direction, but also or the wrong destination. But sometimes we make the wrong directions, get a little bit lost along the way. And we can be deeply involved, deeply uh, affected by our environment that we're in. You see, nobody sets out in life to, to become bitter, do they? And, and no one sets out in life to have broken relationships no one sets out in life to be addicted to something or, or to have problems. There's a different destination that they set out to, but they're affected by their environment and what's going on in their life, aren't they? There's a little story which talks about two fish in a bowl. There's a young fish and an old fish. I don't know if you've heard this story, but the old fish says to the young fish, he says, how's the water today? And the young fish says, what, what, water, what's water? He didn't even know that he was in water. And that's the environment that he was in. And sometimes it's like, like that. it's like that for life. We don't really understand the culture and the water that we, that we are swimming in. We are deeply affected by our culture and what's going on. Just like any, just being alive, just breathing, we are being shaped by what's going on. We are shaped by our DNA. We are shaped by our upbringing. We are shaped by our friends. We are shaped by what we do. We are shaped by television. And, um, you know, you just look at the amount of money that is spent in advertising because they know that that will shape us. It will shape how we do things and what we buy. We are deeply shaped by our culture and the way what we're swimming in. Whether we like it or not, it's a fact of life. I think one of the greatest playwrights, Oscar Wilde, and I just love some of his, his plays, you know, The Ideal Husband, for example, and, and things like that. Just love, love some of those plays. And, but he said at one point in his life that he'd made so many choices. He just followed his passions and choices and, and kept following those. And at some point he came to his life where he found that he was no longer the captain of his soul. And, you know, he was no longer in control about what his choices he made. So our choices in life will deeply affect our destination. And as Christians, I hope you, or if you're a Christian, we want to follow Jesus. He is our destination, isn't he? Jesus is our destination. But we won't become like Jesus unless we're swimming in the right environment. If we're swimming in this world, instead of swimming in the environment of the Holy Spirit, we will not become more like Jesus. And and I want to be more like Jesus. I hope that's true of you, whether you're a faith or not. You want to be more 
like Jesus or more a, a, a better person. I think there are so many reasons why we should want to follow Jesus. I could go on for quite a while, but just a couple of things. One is, uh, thinking about the teaching that Sarah brought last week, about Jesus talks about forgiving one another and loving our neighbours and not judging. Um, the reality is if we hold on to things and we don't forgive one another, as Sarah said, it's like drinking poison. Well, the reality is we will come into situations as human beings where we will struggle with people in family life, in business, in work. We will need to be people that have learned something from Jesus so that we cannot be bitter and we can be loving instead. So that's one reason why we need to follow Jesus. We need to learn from him. The second thing I think that really makes me think, yeah, I want to, I want to follow Jesus because, you know, we want to have our lives to be effective, don't we? We want our lives to do something, to change society, to bring the good in, don't we? But how can we do that? I came across this story. A friend of mine <clears throat> told, me about his, t- told me about her mum. And uh, her mum's about 70. But she'd been walking along the street, I think, in London and saw this lady on the street. So she invited her into a cafe. They had coffee together. And she found out something of her story. Her story was that she had been on the streets for years. She was an alcoholic, been an alcoholic for years, and she had no front teeth, and things were quite bad in her life. Well, really bad. And um, so anyway, they parted. And as they parted, this um, friend's mum heard the voice of Jesus say to her, pray for this lady every day. And so she did. And a year later, she met this lady, this lady that had been on the street, in that cafe. And in that cafe, they started talking again. And she said, oh, I've been, I have my, had my own accommodation for six months. I have been off alcohol for six months. And as you can see, I've got new front teeth. <laughs> you know, so there was that transformation, which I don't think is a coincidence about with the prayer the lady brought into that situation. But what I love also, I love it, is that what made my friend's mum be that person of compassion, be that person of persistent prayer that affected that person, I think it was because she'd learned to be in the environment of the Holy Spirit. She'd learned to be changed by something of Jesus so that she'd become this person that could change society. And that's what we want. We don't... We don't, we, we don't want to be bitter people. We want to be changed people. We want to be forgiving people. We want to be people that love. We want to be people of compassion, don't we? But how can we do that? That's the big question we're asking today. How can we live fruitful lives? So let's read together what Jesus says about this from Luke chapter 6 and verse 46. Jesus says, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do what I say? For everyone who comes to me and hears my words puts them into practice. I will show you what they're like. They're like a man man who's building a house, who digs down deep and laid the foundation on a rock. And when the flood came and the torrent struck that house, but the house could, could not shake it because it was well built. But the one who hears my words... 
and does not put them into practice. It's like a man who built a house on the ground without a foundation. The moment the torrent struck, that house, it collapsed and its destruction was complete. So how can we do what Jesus says? How can we build this house upon the rock? How can we build on a good foundation that when stuff comes, we won't be dashed down? Well, in this passage, Jesus doesn't really help us, does he? Jesus, okay, I know I want to be like that, but how do I do it? Do I just sort of grip my teeth and say, well, obey, 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 and I'll do it, and I'll... It's not just a question of gritting our teeth, is it, and, and doing it. It's just not that simple. It's more like, it's not about trying harder, but it's about... Um, you know, so, so, for example, let me backtrack a little bit. If I was to say, well, um, I'm going to run a marathon tomorrow, I could, I, I could do 5 or 10K probably, maybe a little bit more, but um, it would, I would just not manage it, would I? I just couldn't do that marathon. It's not about, I might say, oh, I'm going to grit my teeth, I'm going to try really hard, I'm going to be able to do this, but actually I wouldn't. Well, it's not just about trying harder, it's about training. So we need some kind of training if we're actually going to be more like Jesus. A colleague at work is going to do the Madrid Marathon in April. And she's been training for months, doing more and more miles and doing all sorts of things. And and it's about training. Did you notice... um, Well, one bit that Jesus says is that he says that um, in Luke chapter 6, he says, um, if you follow a blind man, if a blind man follows a blind man, he will fall into a pit. And no student is greater than his master. But if a student is fully trained, he will be like his master. So Jesus talks about training. Paul talks about training as well. Let's read it. There. It says, Train yourself to be godly, for physical training is of some value. But godliness has value for all things, holding promise both the present life and the life to come. But what, what does training look like? What does Jesus' training look like? I think we need to read another bit that Jesus says. It's not about trying harder. It's about training. So, Luke chapter 6, verse 43. <clears throat> no good tree bears bad fruit, nor does a bad tree bear good fruit. Each tree is recognized by its own. People do not peek pick figs from thorn bushes or grapes from briars. A good man brings good things out of the good stored up in his heart, and an evil man brings evil out of the things stored up in his heart. For the mouth speaks what the heart is full of. How can we be like Jesus? Jesus says that we need a change of heart, because if we're a good if we're a good tree we bear good fruit. If Bad tree, bad fruit. We need the good heart. And Jesus was speaking to the religious people of his day, the Pharisees who were all about outside, external behavior, but actually hadn't 
got the, the change of heart that comes through a relationship with God. They were about religion as opposed to relationship. And the wonderful thing, one of the wonderful things about becoming a Christian, about knowing Jesus in our lives, is that we, when we come to him, he, he comes, his spirit or the Holy Spirit comes into our hearts and begins to change us from the inside out. That he forgives us our sin and he comes to begin to rebuild and remold. The question is, if, the, if I have the Holy Spirit in me, why am I not perfect? And everyone knows I'm not. And I guess you're not either. But even if you're a Christian, it's because God doesn't impose himself on us. Because he's given us free will. He doesn't control us so we do the right stuff. He wants to cooperate with us and work with us and be a co-worker in our hearts. And so what we need to do is place ourselves where the Holy Spirit can change our hearts. We need to be in that environment where we surrender and the Holy Spirit changes us so that we begin, our hearts change and we can begin to bear the right kind of stuff. Somebody once said, if we're going to triumph as Christians, we need to try and God will come and do the oomph. That's the triumph in Christian life will come only as we, as he comes into our life. But the trying that I want to suggest to you today is not a gritting your teeth. It's about placing ourselves where the Holy Spirit can change us. The key to following Jesus is to follow the way that he did it. As our series is this time, following Jesus, the Jesus way. The key is to doing it just like Jesus did, following his practices, the practices that Jesus did. And so in the coming weeks, we're going to look at some of them. Blair is going to come and talk about prayer in a moment and how that can change us. Esther's going to talk about the Sabbath and a day of rest. These practices have been traditionally known as the spiritual disciplines. There are a whole load of them. That they are just places where we can connect with God and he can begin to change our hearts from the inside out so that we are changed. And due to personality, we have a favourite way. You probably have a favourite way of engaging with God. If you're an introvert, it'll be time spending alone with God. If you're an extrovert, you just love getting out and doing serving people. You love doing the noise project. That's a really good spiritual discipline. It can be something that not just do something good for people, but actually can change us as we begin to serve people. I love thinking, so I just love studying the Bible. I love walking, so I love praying as I walk. That's kind of me, that's who I am, I just love that. But at various times we need to consider not just the thing that we connect best with God, We need to think about other things. There might be a time of life where you're struggling with a particular issue. And at that point, there might be a different kind of spiritual discipline or practice of Jesus that you need to engage with. For example, if you were dealing particularly with pride, for example, a really good thing to do is to do service in secret. So that nobody knows, that only God knows. And as you're struggling, oh, nobody knows I'm doing this. You have to ask God to help you change and to deal with that. 
So at the various times, there will be things that we need to do. The other thing that we need to be aware of is it's actually really good for us to try different spiritual disciplines or practices of Jesus that we're not very good at and that we struggle with. For example, that if you're an introvert and you love just being on your own, it would be really good for you to meet with other Christians and to grow in that area. If you're an extrovert and you just love being out on social justice campaigns and you love doing the noise and you love doing um, service, it would be good for you to spend some time just in quiet, in solitude and silence. But there are different seasons of life. If you're a young mum, for example, it can be really, really hard. You've got all these things to do. And I, and I just don't want to be putting pressure on you this morning. I'm not wanting to put guilt on anyone. The good news of Jesus is that he loves us whether we do these things or not. Whether you listen to what I've got to say today or not. He still loves us. He loves us as we are. 100%. 100% loves us. Just as we are. And these spiritual practices, these practices of Jesus, they... They don't make us saved. We're saved. We're in a relationship with God because of his grace. He has done it. He has died on the cross. He brings us to faith. He saves us. And these things that I'm trying to encourage you to be involved in are just ways in which we can begin to look like Jesus. So, you know, there are disciplines of... um, so there are a number of different times, types of them. There are generally two things. One is something about self-denial. And there are other spiritual practices which are about engagement. So some of them, I'm just going to rattle through them. So there's solitude, silence, fasting from food, but fasting maybe from media or your phone. There's Sabbath and rest that Esther's going to talk about next week. There's secrecy, that idea of serving without anyone knowing. And then they're the ones of engagement. Bible reading, that you're engaging with the scriptures to change your thinking and your heart and your mind. There's worship that we've been doing corporately this morning. There's worship that we can do on our own. There's prayer, that prayer's going to come and share something about that in a moment. There's fellowship, that we're meeting as Christians, that we can encourage one another and bless one another. And there's service, the noise for example. Social justice, things that we can do. But I want you to notice, I want you to look at those things and which one of those is my favourite. And which one maybe I really struggle on and I need to consider thinking about doing. But I want you to notice about um, the, the method of Jesus' training. It wasn't just like me talking to you. Jesus did do some of that. But it was a relational thing. They came with him for three years. They saw exactly what he did. They walked with him. He taught them things. Much, much more like sort of a modern day apprenticeship scheme where people come alongside people who know how to do something and learn. It's much, much more relational. So Jesus is saying that is a real way of growing and developing is that relational model. And that is why, for one reason... Why, being a Christian, you need to meet with other Christians and be part of some group, maybe a small group or something, that where you can be encouraged and trained. 
How can we be like Jesus? That's our question that we're asking today. It's about placing ourselves in an environment where the Holy Spirit can change us. And we can then become a good tree and a good and bear good fruit. And of course, bearing fruit on a tree is a process, isn't it? It's not a thing, you know, I just snap my fingers. It's not just do one prayer and you're a godly person. It's not like that. It's a process. But it is a process with a destination. It is a process that we can become more like Jesus. Jesus said a student is not above his teacher. But everyone who's been fully trained by it can be like their teacher. And Blair's going to share now with us about prayer. Go for it, Blair. Perfect. Thanks, Steve. Um, oh, yes, I definitely need that. Okay. So, uh, as Steve has alluded to, uh, we're just going to look a little bit at what Jesus did and modelled to us and the disciples talking about prayer. So, sick. Okay, so Jesus, even though he was the Son of God and part of the Trinity himself, even though he was God himself, still led a life that was dedicated and uh, consistently and persistently in prayer with the Father. One might hope that by looking at the way Jesus prays, we can come up with some kind of formula, you know, a rule book, identify exactly how many syllables we need to say, how many words per minute, how much babble do we need to include, all of this stuff. And I'm sad to say that unfortunately, when we analyse what Jesus did and look at the way that he prayed, it doesn't work, no, I'm sorry. Um, As well as his outward and public prayer life and ministry... Uh, Jesus seemed to love the company of God. There are 38, as far as I could find, there might be more, 38 gospel references to Jesus praying in the Bible. Okay? Four of them are around food when he was eating, uh, or like saying grace before uh, yeah, eating. Half of them were advice or tips to the disciples on how to pray effectively, um, as well as worship in there as well. But there are eight mentions of Jesus going to the quiet place. When he wanted to pray. As far as I could tell, Jesus' favorite place to be was in solitude, alone. He went there to be tested. He went into the wilderness. He went there before he wanted to preach uh, or uh, talk in front of large groups. After he talked to large groups, before he went to walk on the water, he went there to mourn uh, when John the Baptist died as well. Now, as some people may know, I uh, really dislike small talk. I really dislike small talk. In fact, I imagine most people do. There's this sort of social contract that we have, that we have to talk about the, the insignificant things, the little things. Oh, nice shoes you got there. Oh, is that a new haircut? Oh, nice eye patch. These kind of things that no one really wants to know the answer to, but we're obligated to say this stuff. You know, it doesn't get us any, anywhere. We don't find any new information about people. Um, And I've devised this sort of graph. I'm an engineer, so I like numbers and charts and things, and I hope that you can follow me here. Um, Along the bottom axis, we have time that you have spent with someone. So obviously at zero, you've just met them, or you haven't met them yet, you're about to meet them. And at the end there, the numbers don't mean anything, at the end there, you've spent a ton of time with them. And on the vertical axis, it is time you want to spend with someone. That is... Time, like how much you love someone. Do you want to spend more time with them? Do you enjoy their company? Now, I find that there's a bit of an exponential curve here. To begin with, I'm sad to say that I'm below zero. 
as soon as I met someone, I'm thinking, flipping heck, like, I've got to make a decision. Do I want to chat to this person? Do I want to spend time with them? Do I? No, really. I, what I want to do is I want to get to the meat. I want to identify who this person is, who they are in God. What are their ambitions? Can I help them? Can they help me? How can I love them effectively? But as, as you can see, as you spend more time with someone, you understand who they are. You understand what makes them tick how they work, what they love, exactly who they are. And you want to spend more time with them. And this isn't more apparent anywhere else other than in a spouse or a relationship. You find that the more time that you spend with this person, the more time you want to spend with this person. And this is the reason that I believe that Jesus spent so much time in solitude. It wasn't out of obligation. He didn't go there because he felt he had to. He didn't set a timer for 12 minutes on a Monday after work. 15 minutes if the pizza was frozen. He just, he went to the silent place because that is where he met God. It is written that Jesus would go up the mountain and sometimes he'd spend the whole night praying. The whole night. I think we struggle with the 24 hour. Anyway, we won't go into that. He spent time in solitude in the quiet place because that is where he found security. And that is where he could be with the Father. There were no distractions. That's where he could be intimate and close. No WhatsApp, no Facebook. Just him and God. Now, please don't hear what I'm not saying. Praying in community is fantastic. We're called to pray in community. We're called to build each other up, to edify each other. You know, we're, 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 we're called to be in community and to have fellowship. We're called to be joined. The reason that we're talking about Solitude today is because we've identified that this is a place uh, in life that Jesus spent a lot of time. And I certainly know for myself that I don't, I don't spend enough time there. And just in case that's the same for someone else here, it's worth talking about today. Now, as Steve was talking about earlier, we want to live fruitful lives. I want the results of my actions to be glorious and wholly pleasing to God. I want there to be... Um, I want there to be a real clear line of connection between myself and God when I'm praying. But often I find that because I don't spend enough time in the quiet place, I really struggle to hear what he's saying. Sometimes I second guess what he said. Or sometimes I just get it wrong completely and I think, oh, the voice in my head that said eight Kit Kat Chunkies for breakfast is okay is God. <laughs> Perhaps it might not be. Now, I've identified that I think part of the issue here is that, I, like I said, I don't spend enough time in the quiet place. We find that there's so much noise that comes at us from all sorts of directions in the society that we have at the moment. And we find ourselves not really being sure what to prioritise and what to focus on. It's really easy when it's plain sailing not to spend time dedicated to God because you don't need to. You know, your priorities are cooking dinner, staying up to date on Netflix, whatever you want. The priorities are not listening to God. And then, and then it hits the fan. Something goes wrong. And we find ourselves in a bit of a pickle. Oh, no, God, we need to call on you. God, where are you? Why aren't you responding? And we're in a position where we don't understand the sound of the voice of God. We don't hear his support and his encouragement. And he's yelling it at us. But we just get mixed signals. We don't understand where we're coming from or where he's coming from. So how do we change? How do we break this habit of self-reliance? I've got four ways that I want to do that. I would do four, but hands full and such. So the first one, time with God 
builds intimacy. uh, intimacy. Time alone with God builds intimacy. And we can see that no clearer than when we look at Jesus and we look at what he did. As God himself, he was the, the, the most qualified to not have to spend time in the quiet place with God. And we look and we see how much was written. By definition, time in, the, time in the quiet place, time in solitude, probably wasn't well known. So if eight of the references out of 38 said that he was in solitude, how many more times were not seen, were uncovered? Perfect. Number one, time with God builds intimacy. Two, time with God changes what we love. By accepting Jesus, we become born again. We need to make sure that we are not swimming in the waters of society that Steve mentioned earlier, but we are swimming in the waters of heaven. By spending time in prayer focused on him with pure and honest hearts, we will find ourselves beginning to want for the things of heaven. Prayer can change our lives. Number three, prayer enables us to reflect on life. Time spent in prayer helps us realize where we're going wrong. Okay? It helps us examine our own hearts and the choices we make. It helps us examine the reasons behind them as well. Not only, not only that, it helps us identify where our brokenness is, where our insecurities lie. It helps us identify what we need to give back to God, what we need to put back at the foot of the cross. Let me tell you a quick story. My family is South African, so they immigrated about two years before I was born. And South African culture, I'm not sure if many people here are aware, South African culture is very explosive, it's very short, and it's very feisty. Okay, So the way that I was reprimanded as a, a young boy, and it happened to my shame a lot, uh, was, was through um, harsh punishments, very escalatory, escalatory um, like consequences, uh, but that is then how I learned to deal with situations. When confrontation arose, this is the way that we deal with it. Well, you know, this is the way I've always dealt with it. This is the way it's been dealt with me, so that's how I'm going to deal with it with you. And you find yourself in a slightly difficult situation because we're in a much more reserved climate here in the UK, shall we say. Um, and so this, 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 this led me to be in a few... This led, me, spoilers, this led me to be in a few um, situations which uh, wasn't helpful for me and wasn't helpful for the people in the situations. Um, I didn't really identify that this was an issue until after uni. And after uni, I, I went and spent three months with a ministry down in South Devon. And it was a fantastic time. And we spent so much time in prayer and in solitude. We had hours dedicated to soaking a day. We, we had prayed. We had areas of the building that would go. And you'd just be alone. And you'd be able to pray and you'd be able to listen. And there'd be no... No distractions, no nothing. And during this time, during this time of self-reflection, I was able to identify the root causes of these issues that I've been having for years. And at that point, once I knew what the root cause was, I could give that back to God and I could start the road to recovery, as it were. You know? And since then, I've been walking a much more um, calm. And I'm certainly not the calmest person, but I'm much calmer than I was. And that's all down to God. That's down to spending time in prayer, um, reflecting on what he said, and then giving that back to him, putting it back to him. We were not meant to carry the burdens of our heart. The biggest trick of the devil is said to be convincing the world that he doesn't exist. Now, for Christians, we know that he does. I think the biggest trick of the enemy for us is convincing us that we deserve the burdens that we carry. Prayer can change us. 
Prayer for others creates a heart for them. First Thessalonians says something very, um, very clear. I think it's verse 17. It says, pray continually. If you can find a simpler and more concise instruction in the biblical text, I would so love to hear it. By praying continually, we're going to run out of things to say about ourselves, but we can begin to pray for others. A study was done recently in Lincoln. Um, an atheist or a secular academic decided to go to a load of random churches up there and gave them all, all the, the congregation a survey. And the survey said, um, how frequently do you pray? How often do you pray? How long are your prayers? Do you pray daily? Do you pray hourly? What do you say? What kind of things do you talk about? And then it also there was also a... Another section to fill out which said, how compassionate are you? Are you forgiving? Are you generous? Are you kind? Basically, do you align with the spiritual gifts? And they found an overwhelming correlation between those that prayed frequently, not necessarily long prayers, not necessarily complicated prayers, with tons and tons of words and loads of syllables and something I'd need a dictionary for. Short, frequent prayers created a heart for other people. This is, this is as close to objective science as we can get, and that's what I like. <laughs> So, what does this mean for us? Well, let me just encourage everyone here. Uh, over time, as we follow the practices of Jesus, we can become more like him. You are not incapable of change. Don't believe that. That is not the case. As we follow Jesus, we will become more like him. I also want you to know, and this is really important, I really want you to know that there is no right way to pray. I've mentioned two ways to pray tonight. I mentioned praying in solitude and mentioned praying in community. If the way that you pray doesn't align with the things that I've said today, it doesn't mean that that is not a right way to pray. You, everyone here has a blueprint in heaven. God designed everyone here totally and wholeheartedly independently of everyone else. We look the same. We've got the same shape, number of eyes, one nose. You know, we, we, there's, there's a basic foundation, but we are all unique. And the way that we engage with God is as unique as that. One of the biggest dangers we can fall into is by saying, this person prays like that and they get good results, so I need to pray like that. That's not the way it works. Don't take that. If there's one thing that you take away, don't let it be that. The way that you pray, pray the way that you can, not the way that you feel you're meant to. That's, that's probably the most important thing I want to say. Right. That being said, I have a challenge for everyone this week. Um, as we are entering into Ebby's Prayer Week, 3rd to 9th of February, um, my challenge to you guys is to dedicate some time to God in the quiet place. Find some solitude and hang out with God. Now, don't feel like solitude is, you know, getting home from work and making a cup of tea and then sitting there for two hours. I find solitude on my ride into work with just, just the wind in my ears. There's no distractions. When I'm at the gym, no one's talking to me. I'm doing my own thing. It's time alone, time that I can pray. When I'm driving, that is time alone. Any time alone is time in solitude. But if you can dedicate time to getting home after work and sitting down, that would be fantastic as well. Keep your phone in your pocket. Reflect on life and be still. We never know what you might hear. Right. Yeah, so we're heading into Ebby's Prayer Week. Um, these were dished out last week, I believe. If you've got one, fantastic. If not, uh, I'm sure we can get a photocopy to you. There's a, se a session for daily prayers, weekly prayers, and monthly prayers. Um, I've written three things on my daily prayer session that I'm going to do because these are the most important things for me this week. And actually, I'll read them out to you just to give you an example. The first thing is our government. doesn't matter where you stand politically. Our government need our prayer. Second thing, climate change. 
hopefully I don't need to say too much more about that. Third thing, Six Nations. So, <laughs> prayer is the ultimate tool um, that we have as a movement of God. As the worship band uh, come back to prepare, I just want to spend 30 seconds uh, in a minute thinking about if there is a spiritual discipline that you need to engage with. Is there something today that has struck a chord in your heart, something that has left a little bit of turbulence where previously there was calm? If anything that Steve and I have mentioned has caused, yeah, yeah, if anything that Steve and I have said today has caused even the slightest little bit of difference to where you stand, come and find us or someone that you are comfortable praying with and go to the back and spend some time. Let's dedicate that to God. Can we imagine a Bristol where communities and neighbours pray for each other? Where communities pray for the families of their neighbours, their support staff, the workers? Can you imagine a community where Jesus is an icon, not a swear word? Let's get the ball rolling. Right, before I close the prayer, um, let's spend 30 seconds just thinking about how we might want to respond to what we've, what we've said today.